Welcome to the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Reminger Co. LPA is a full-service law firm with over 150 lawyers spread across 14 offices and serving states throughout the Midwest. My name is Zach Pyers, and I'm a partner in Reminger's Columbus, Ohio office. And I'm Kenton Steele, an associate in Reminger's Columbus office. This podcast on emerging technologies will examine how changes in technology and business models affect our daily lives and how the law is adapting to respond to these changes. Thank you for joining us for the second segment of our discussion with Devin Miller, founder of Miller IP Law, about issues surrounding entrepreneurship and startup businesses. Since you've been in this space, I mean, you talked about 350 essentially conversations you've had with people who are in this journey. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you've been in you've been in this startup space yourself and worked with a lot of startups. Do you see any common problems that startups experience? So if there's somebody who's listening, let's say that's one is trying to start their own or thinking about, you know, going into a startup, is there anything that you would say, "Hey, these are some of like and I'm not talking about like necessarily tiny tiny pitfalls, but you know, large scale problems. Are there any you know, large, you know, a lack of planning or lack of financial, you know, forecasting or something like that that you see? Well, that could be a long conversation. It'd be a fun conversation. (laughs) I'll head on up to you. I could probably, I could probably sit there and talk about that for hours. But one of the things I think the very first thing that people are one of the very first things, always hard to say the very first thing that people are are getting into is they always think or or people get into it and they they do. They watch Shark Tank and I love Shark Tank. I think I've seen every episode they'll listen to, you know, they'll go watch shows like The Profit, which is another great one. And I'll listen to Business Awards, which is a podcast. And everybody always thinks that all you have to do is have that one idea. And if you have that one idea and it's the one immaculate idea, that's really what you need to start a business. And then they have this misconceived notion that once you have that idea, it's easy to implement and you're going to be successful. And then they get into it and they find out ideas are great. It's a good starting point, but 95% of the business is now the execution. In other words, you have to figure out what or how you're going to build this, how you're going to sell it, how you're going to fund it, how you're going to market it, how you're going to get it out there. And that's nothing to do with the idea. You can have a mediocre idea. And if you're really good at executing it and getting it out there, you can have a successful business. And I've seen the world's best ideas and they are really good ideas. And yet they just don't have the wherewithal to execute on it. And it never makes it anywhere. So one of the things I think that people need to get out of or overcome is it's not like Shark Tank. And even the you go and look at the people on Shark Tank, most of them have had serial failures or they've been or they're still losing money or they're finally got to a position and it's not this, Hey, I had this great idea. I started it. Now I'm a multimillionaire. So that's kind of the, one of the big things. One of the other ones you touched on was, I think that there is a lack of planning. Now I'll put it is I'll give it way before you do the 20 or hundred page or whatever business plan. I think that I don't love those in the first place, but that, that's maybe a different conversation. But I do think for an entrepreneur, there's one big problem that a lot of entrepreneurs and I'm absolutely guilty of it is you'll have, 10 ideas before you get up to, or get to work in the morning. You'll have 20 more ideas by the time you're done with work. And you'll have 10 more ideas by the time you, your head hits the pillow. So you'll have 30 or 40 ideas that 95% of them are terrible. And yet every time you have those ideas, you think it's a great idea and it's going to be the next thing that changes your business. And so my rule of thumb and the one that I always counsel with is if you have an idea that you are really excited about, you think it's good, write it down. And I usually do it on a sticky note. I'll stick it on my desk, let it sit there for a week. I don't touch it. If I come back and I'm saying this, I'm excited about this idea in a week from now as I am when I originally had it, 
then there's at least motivation to move forward. 95% of the time I crumple it up. So that was a stupid idea. I'll throw it in the garbage and go back to what I was doing, but it is a weeding process. So I think more than just planning of you need to do the planning and figure it out, but you need to have a system in place to where you sift through the ideas and you get figure out which ones are the worthwhile ones to pursue and which ones you're just excited because it's a new idea that popped into your head that's really not going to go anywhere. If it passes that first test, then it is the planning. And I see a lot of people, first of all, they go, they, they jump past that first step and they'll chase an idea. Second of all, they'll never actually think now. My caveat is I think every plan goes out the window. You, you, you'll do it your best to figure things out and then you'll get into a business and six months or a year down the road, your business is nothing like you planned on, which is perfectly fine. Doesn't mean you don't do a plan. Doesn't mean you don't figure that out because for, in my mind, the way, the reason that you plan is you're convincing yourself to go do the business. Why it's a good opportunity. What are some of the milestones? What are some of the directions? How are you going to get things going? And if you can convince yourself, it does more to you that you will then have wherewithal to continue forward. If you jump over that, First time you hit a stumbling block or you have a hard point, then you're never going to make it. I know I've talked a lot. I'll give one more thing. I'll give my caveat. I don't like business plans or the long business plans. I think the best thing is to go do a really good website. Because if you think about it, when you do a website, you have to figure out who's your target audience. How much are you going to sell this for? Who are you going to sell this for? How are you going to drive business? What are you going to, you know, what are all the ways that you're going to, or manufacturers, producers? And so... It was interesting. I, I talked with somebody. It was actually with somebody who was on our podcast, and they said, "You know what? I'd rather go just or have someone go build a, a website, even if it's not pretty and immaculate. If they do a good job of figuring out all of those questions, same thing that you're going to put in a business plan." So those are the first few things I see that do it. The last one, people don't do an or never form a business or an LLC. I would say that's a big stumbling block that people often they say, "Got a good idea? I want to go get my business started. I want to get or I'm excited, so I'll just get going on it." And then they'll be down a year or two or three down the road. They'll still doing it as a sole proprietorship. And then they get someone that comes along and sends them a cease and assist letter. Or they find out that they accidentally copy someone's copyrighted image. And now they're getting someone that's mad at them and threatening to sue them. Or they have an employee issue that's saying, hey, I want to hear you did something that I don't think is correct. And now I'm going to sue you. And if they, if they don't get that business set up, they don't have that protection. Now their house, their life savings, their retirement are all on the line. And so I always counsel that that's one that people jump over. It's pretty simple. It's, it's reasonably straightforward. And it's one that people oftentimes miss. So I know I, I threw out a, a few. There's a lot of different things. As I said, I could probably talk on it for hours and I'd find it interesting and nobody else would. But those are a few uh, things I'd consider. So a couple of comments I have. One, I've got a question and a comment. The first comment I'll say and do it in kind of reverse is that I thought that post-it note comment that you made about writing the idea down, posting it and leaving it for a week is actually really interesting because I actually use that technique with my oldest child when it comes to purchases. Because a lot of, and I'm, I, I, and it's not just for this technique is not just used for children, but I mean, when you're making a major purchase, a lot of people will say, you know, instead of when you go to the store and just saying, oh my gosh, you know, I'm in love with X and it's a thousand dollars, I'm just going to buy it. Wait, go home, say, and then think about that purchase for a day, two days, a week, whatever it is, before you actually commit to make sure it's not just an emotional purchase that you're making. And so as you're describing this, and I do that, I mean, I, not, I kid you not, my, my child has to write down what it is that she wants to buy, how much it is, and then the date in which she originally wanted to buy it, and then post it somewhere so that we know a week has passed, that she's thought about both like the 
whether about the 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 the, the thing. And then the cost associated with it, so she can say, "Do I really want to part with this much money?" Um, and it's just a technique to help get over that impulsiveness. And but it's essentially the same thing that you're describing: is that you know you get caught up in this emotion, this excitement, and it gives you time to ponder it and think about it. Do I really want to pursue this? The other thing, and it's kind of a question, is. When you're working, and when you talked about the importance of this kind of establishing the LLC, establishing a business, you know, a legal structure to the business or the entity, do you find it hard to to rewind or unwind? So, for example, do you find it hard when you're counseling an, uh, you know, a startup that's come to you, you know, a year in and said, "Now we want to we want to get this LLC." Do you find it difficult that they've you maybe already entered into contracts? without that legal entity or they've already secured insurance one way or financing or and now you have to kind of undo some of the work that they've done to get that in yep. place and is that something that you encounter as well yeah absolutely i mean that's every short answer is yes absolutely i mean you'll have everything from bank accounts maybe you set the bank account up in your personal. don't do that first of all don't set it up in your personal name it makes it so you're commingling funds and it, it creates a big problem Set up a separate business account. Only use that for business purposes. If you want to pull it out money for yourself, do it as a dividend. Do it as a paycheck. Don't just go and start using the business fund as your personal fund or your personal fund as a business fund. But you'll have it as far as business accounts. You'll have it for insurance if you're smart enough or have the foresight to get insurance. You'll see it for employment contracts. Get employment contracts. Don't just do it on or on a word, you know, on everybody's word or shake handshake. You'll see it on, you know, all sorts of things, agreements, supplier agreements. And now you're going to, you can go and unwind it. It's, it's possible. And, or you can go and redo all the contracts. First of all, then you always have a bit of a what happened for that first year. How do we fix that? And sometimes you can fix some of it and some of it. You're just hoping that it, there wasn't anything big that was going to happen that first year or however long you missed it. But then you're doing a ton more work to have to go and reestablish all that. I mean, think about going to all of your vendors and saying, hey, you know, I actually never actually had a business or an LLC set up. It was just me as a sole proprietorship. I fixed that. Now do you, or here's all the new contracts you get to sign. Hopefully you don't mind. And then you go to all your employees and say, you know, I told you I was going to pay you and do that, but there, there was never actually an agreement. So here's an agreement. Go sign this. And here's it with, with an actual business and instead of me, myself, and I and on a handshake and all those things. So one, it's, it's harder to unwind and it takes more time and effort. And two, it still leaves a open openness and a liability. And now you're having to go and explain it to everybody. So, I mean, and really LLCs, to do a simple LLC, we do it. And I know LegalZoom and others do it as well. I mean, for us, as an example, we offer for $99 plus a state filing fee. So most states, you're in a two or $300. It is much easier to get it done on the front end. Plus, and we didn't even get into taxes and how all that ramification on all the tax issues. But it is much easier to set up an LLC. It takes you, it takes a day, it takes less. It takes you, you know, it'll, to actually fill out, they get the information, it takes like 30 minutes. And then to have somebody set it up where it takes a week or two, get it in place because you're going to avoid so many more headaches and you're going to have and, you, and you're going to have a lot more security that if you set it up right and do it right. Now, you're not worried that if somebody comes sues me. Guess what? Now they can come take my house and they're my life savings and my cars and my property. And so, yes, absolutely. Um, you see people that you can unwind it as possible. It's an absolute headache and most people don't want to do it. And then they just kick the can farther down the road and make even bigger problems. 
Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned just the insurance. Well, it, you mentioned something that caught my attention. You said if they have the foresight to secure insurance, is that an is that an issue that you see with startups, or I mean, with whether they're in the tech space or not? About, I mean, so I will tell you. You know, I'm people know I'm a litigator. I deal with insurance a lot. Um, it, it's not uncommon for me, you know, on any given day to deal with a lot of insurance. It, do you see that that's a step that sometimes people, I mean, skip over or they just don't think about? Or, uh, I mean, how does that conversation come up? Yeah, I mean, yeah, people skip or skip over. And a lot of times, I get how it happens. And so I feel like I'm hammering on it. It's, it's an easy progression because a lot of times you start out a business, it's an idea, it's a side hustle. And you're saying, hey, I'm only going to make a few hundred dollars off of this or I just want to try it out. Well, at that point, yeah, it probably doesn't make sense to go get insurance that's going to cost more than the whole startup. You're saying, you know, it just doesn't have the value, especially if it's low risk. And But you start to do that and then you encroach on and then you just never really think about it. And you start, you know, then you get busy and then you hire your first employee and then you have orders to fulfill. And you never really think about the insurance because there is no pressing need. There is nothing that's causing you to have to go get it until you need it, until somebody comes after you or do it. And so a lot of times, you know, if you've been through it before, if you're a legally minded person or sometimes an accountant or you work in insurance, you're going to think about it. But with the average person, they're going to think, well, no, I'm just making a product. I'm going to go sell it on a website or I'm going to go offer a service. I don't need insurance. What am I going to need insurance for? I'm just going to do it. You know, those type of things. And you, then you'll get into probably as you see in the litigator, you'll get into product liability or you'll get into employment disputes or you'll get into, you know, even the stupid things like return policies or you'll get into did you follow the correct guidelines for how you or text people and you'll get some person that wants to go in and get it or you'll get an employee that downloads a copyrighted material that they didn't know was copyrighted or they didn't really think about it. And then you get this. And there's just so many things that. They don't think about and they think about insurance when there's a cause for they already should have had insurance. But it's kind of like if your house is burning down, you're saying, yeah, I probably should have got insurance. It would have been a lot nicer. But you don't really think about it when you're building the house. You're just excited to build the house and get it now. Most people get homeowners insurance because they think about it. They they realize it's a sizable investment. But with a business, it's much more incremental and slowly. And you're thinking of you're doing other things that you're, you're needing to deal with. And it never has that same trigger point as a lot of other things. And so you don't think about it until a lot of times it's later down. So it's one where people overlook because it's kind of there isn't a necessity on the front end. They don't really think about it. They're starting small. And by the time they get big, then they're doing it unless they you know, unless they have a, a trigger or motivation to get it. Yeah. Um, now, you know, one of the things, and I don't know that we've touched on this, but your firm also offers web design services. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. How did yeah. you, that's when I think of, you know, like a traditional law firm, I don't necessarily think of like web design services. How did you, I mean, how did you end up in that space? <laughs> it's a it's a good question. I, I, I don't know myself. No, I'll give you the real answer. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's one of those that kind of naturally evolved. So, and we are actually, we're just excited. We're just, la- we just launched it. We soft launched it. And so the web design service is formally, now we've been doing it for a lot longer and I'll give you the answer, but we're, you know, we, it's technically you go to two separate websites. So you go to our, my law firm website, you're not going to see a lot of web- website design because it gets confusing and you go to the website design. So under the same house and we, we help clients on both fronts, but we try and help you not muddle our message. Uh, now to answer your question, which that wasn't an answer to your question. So where it started out is first of all, it started out with uh, me having to build my own website. And so 
I've done it for a few of my businesses. I like starting out the law firm. I hate law firm websites, most of them, because you go to them and they all look pretty and they have nice pictures, but you don't know any, it doesn't tell you anything about them. You know, you don't know how much things are going to cost, what the turnaround time is, what do you actually need? You know, how do I, you know, how do I ever get any education and how do I even reach out half the time? Attorneys don't even have that or how do you get in contact with them? It's this little form that you put in your information. It goes off to nowhere. They never reach out to you. So it started for me when I was starting the website or law firm saying, I need a website. I hate all law firm websites. How am I going to do it differently? So our website is by far not the conventional law firm website with intentionality. So that, that's where it started. And then it kind of incrementally said we had clients that started to say, hey, I like your website. You know, and I brought on a, a now a developer and a designer. He does an awesome job. And he made my website look 10 times better than I ever did, but kind of built in what we did. And so as he now made it look better and improved it, they said, hey, I love your website. And, you know, it's easy to navigate. I understand what your services are, what are your prices and everything else. Who did you use or, you know, do you know anybody that can recruit over and says, well, we did it internally. And so we started to have a few clients that were saying, well, can you do it for us? And say, well, yeah, we could probably figure it out. And so we figured out a pricing scheme and a structure. And so we started to do that for a few clients. It's kind of one-offs along the way. And so kind of started there. The other place that it also started was we, you know, kind of separate from that is we were doing a lot of client development. In other words, finding new clients, bringing them on board, seeing who we could help out. And we kept running into over and over that the same marketing efforts we were finding people that needed intellectual property, they're also looking for website development and website design. And so a lot of there's enough of the overlap with our marketing efforts that we're saying, if we're doing all the mar- all the work to find this these people and they happen to be needing a website and we're already doing this, you know, kind of one-off for clients, why don't we, and we already have the in, our internal talent, we already have people that can or offer and help provide those services. It was a natural lead to say, hey, our mission is to help startups and small businesses. That's where the law firm is focused. This is something that a lot of startups and small businesses need. I think we can do it awesome. I think we can, again, do it differently than what's out there and make it a lot easier to navigate, more transparent, and help understand the pricing and the turnaround time, make the process better. Let's take the same things that we've done in the law side and apply. And it's interesting, when we started to look at all of the things that we did on the intellectual property side, a ton of the systems we put in place worked in the in the website design to give you a quick example we do for a patent you have a disclosure form where you walks you through the information we need to know about your invention in order to draft the patent application for it guess what you need if you're wanting to build a website you need a disclosure form where we need all the details that you need in order to build a website <laughs> who's your target customer what do you want them to do when they get to your website what is your pricing and it's kind of that same thing and how do we go about then doing the review process? Similar, we give you a review, you give us your feedback, a lot the same as a patent. So as much as it seems different, it was really, we looked and said, we have the internal talent, we're already seeing these clients that are they're needing this, we have already done it a few times, and a lot of the same systems we've already put in place for the law firm translate very well over. So with all of that said, okay, let's do it, we'll pull the trigger, now we can help startups and small businesses one more leg on their journey. You know, it's interesting because you describe the fact that the processes like are are similar. I mean, even though the end result, I mean, the patent application and the website are are two different products. You've the inputs and the processes, um, the input and the processes are at least very similar. Um, and I, I think that that's a that's honestly, I just never thought about it that way. And you know, and it makes me wonder. It starts to make me think: how many other processes are there out there? And I'm not I'm not asking you to answer this on the spot, but how many other processes are there out there that are at least similar where you're looking at a similar set of inputs 
or at least, you know, have some overlap where the process could be simplified. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think there are a lot. And if you start, and I said, these ones, you look at the end result and say, a patent, a website, those are pretty different, right? And I'd agree, you know, end result, they look completely different. And yet, you know, as an example, one of the things with the the legal industry that I was, I hate and that I was solving, we moved everything over to flat fees or almost everything. We have a couple, if you get into litigation on IP stuff that we might get into on hourly because it's too variable, but 95%. Well, figuring out the pricing structure, when we did on our own website, how do we convey that information and how do we do that? And how do we think of, you know, make it clearly conveyed. And then we, that's the same thing as a website here, having to figure out your product pricing. So we had to do it. It was our own process. How do we convey that information? Another thing we do with the, the strategy, or we do strategy meetings where we have one-on-one client counseling sessions. Guess what you need if you have somebody that's not knowing what they need with their website? They need a strategy meeting where they sit down, they talk through, what do I need? How, when do I need it? How do I go about doing it? What questions do you have? Do a disclosure, do a review process. I mean, and I think that there's a lot more out there that even if you're looking, you can start to see that even if the end result may be different, there's a lot of the, you know, if you figured out 80% of the things that are going to be the commonalities and you can leverage that, why not leverage that? And that's the same reason why we did the DIY legal products. We had to figure out a system that we would do it internally that we could start to optimize and make things automated and make things better. And then we said, we can offer a version of this as a DIY legal product that's going to do a lot of what we're doing internally and make it available at a less, much less expensive price. And so I think that if you start to look at where the overlaps and where the opportunities, if you keep an eye out, it, it provides for a lot of opportunities. Yeah. So let me ask you, and I, I like to sometimes ask these questions, and, just, and I know this is super broad, um, but you know, being in the space that you're in kind of gives you a unique perspective. So... Um, you know, kind of as we close out, I'm always kind of curious if you see any really big opportunities or challenges or or, or maybe opportunities and challenges, because they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, you know, in the years ahead as it relates to, you know, the, the things that startups are, are facing or maybe facing in the near term future. Yeah. And I, I would say those go hand in glove because the challenge... Those that can figure out how to address the challenges are going to be the ones that are successful. And I think that a great example has been COVID. And in other words, and I'll I'll even do that with the legal industry. Most of the legal industry up until COVID was set up that you had a high-rise building downtown. You had very immaculate office space and everybody came into your office space. What happened when COVID came along? Everybody shut down their offices. They all worked from home. You didn't have an office space. You had, and then even worse, if you had that office space, you're still paying a high rent and it's not even doing any good. And now you're saying, okay, how do I adjust all that? Guess what we were doing before? We were, we did Zoom for three years, which is two years before it was cool with COVID. Um, we had, we were working with clients all across the US, 50 states. We we're doing it. Not everybody came to Utah. Very few people came to Utah. We have some clients in Utah and they're awesome, but more of our clients are outside of Utah. And so it was those looking for the difficulties that firms, and we just happened to be fortuitous, are doing that because we wanted to set up the firm that was going to be nationwide, but we could help anybody, especially when we're on the, the federal level. But those are the difficulties law firms are found. The ones that figured it out, they were figure out how to do it remotely, how to do it without having to have them come to the office, how to do it with reduced office space and reduced cost. Those are the ones that are thriving. The ones that are still shut down are the ones that were shut down for a year and a half. And they're, they're saying we have this big office space and all this immaculate space. And we're not even set up to do things remotely. And how do we deal with clients? And where do we put all of our files? Those are the ones that are facing the difficulty. So I think that 
there are a lot of things that if you start to look for where the difficulties that are going to lie and then how do I address those, those are where your biggest opportunities are. Same thing with, you know, I'm a big proponent of automation. I love automation. I probably automate too many things, but I also love that. <laughs> I, I think that we find a good balance because automation, if you automate everything and you remove the personal aspect of it, it does not do you a good service. If you do it right, it gives you a whole lot more time to have the one-on-one personal aspect right. because you're offloading things. Those type of things. But again, if you're looking for what are the things that, where are the opportunities? What are the difficulties? Where are we spending all the money? Do we need to spend the money there? Can we do it better? All of those difficulties of people for, that say, hey, that's the way it's always been done. If you can figure out a different way to do it, it provides such a better opportunity. And so I think those difficulties are the opportunities. I think that's good. I think that's good. Devin, I want to thank you for taking time to talk with us today and coming on. We really appreciated it. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, we'll be running into each other in the future. So, but I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to be on. And, uh, if, and I don't know, I can uh, definitely, for people that they, I'd love to offer to your audience, um, a way to connect up with me if they want to follow up and do a one-on-one strategy meeting where they, if they have any other follow-up questions. Yeah. So if you don't mind, no. um, uh, yeah. So with that, if people want to reach out to me, they want to do a one-on-one. So one of the things that we found that clients hate is every time you go into an attorney's office, from the time you step foot in there, the meter starts running and you never, and you always figure you're going to be uh, receive a bill as you're walking out the door. So we, uh, we turn that on and said, we do free strategy meetings where we sit down, you can do it legal, we do it via Zoom, we can do it via phone, we can do it via face-to-face. But if they want to do that, they can reach out to us. They just go to strategymeeting.com. I link that right to my calendar. You can see the times that are available on my schedule and makes it easy to connect up with me. So if people have additional questions, if we didn't cover anything, if they want to be my next best friend or they want to chat, <laughs> I'm definitely happy to uh, connect up with them if they go to strategymeeting.com. Well, perfect. Devin, again, we really appreciate it and appreciate taking the time today to talk with us. Hey, it's been my pleasure. It's been an awesome conversation. Great. Thanks, Devin. Mm-hmm. 